Hey, hey, thanks for joining me on the Mega Ellison Show. If you've missed any of the programming, four and a half hours of programming gold, as I like to say, you can go out to WSAU.com forward slash podcasts, and all of the segments are posted for your listening enjoyment. Share and listen as uh, they are posted almost, well, I, would, I won't say real time, but shortly thereafter, the each segment concludes. If you'd like to join the conversation this morning, as my 10 o'clock guest is unfortunately a no-show, here's your opportunity to weigh in on the topics of the day, 715-845-2155. You know, I've touched on a little bit, of course, with my uh, last guest this morning, Will Martin. We at least talked about how we have a state Supreme Court that is has decided to do the role of the legislature unconstitutionally, might I add, and well, and unfortunately, these consultants, these what four hundred and fifty dollar an hour consultants that were hired, you know, of course, naturally handpicked to benefit and favor the Democrats. Of course, of course, this is what we're going to see, and it's the worst case scenario. I hate to be a Debbie Downer on a Monday, but um, hey, it's Monday, so why not? If you would like to join the conversation this morning, 715-845-2155, this uh, statement from the RPW, Wisconsin GOP, on this uh, the co-consultants report, and I had a number of guests on last week, including uh, Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty attorney, president, uh, he, he talked about the, well, the true gerrymandering which is now going on with these uh with well i'll say with the 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 new maps that we are all anticipating the state supreme court is going to turn out uh again against the the constitution really uh to disenfranchise thousands of voters here in the state of wisconsin we've already we've already we've already picked the legislators that represent us but the democrats aren't happy with that so they want to they want to manipulate the court. They want to use the court, the state Supreme Court, to to do the role, to perform the role of the legislature. So here's what the Wisconsin GOP says. The consultant's report is a brazen hack job by left-wing partisan actors. Invented terms like stealth gerrymander are nothing more than a thinly veiled attempt to distract voters from the report's true conclusion. Wisconsin Republicans submitted fair maps that met every standard of good governance. One can only conclude that Janet Protasiewicz, the $10 million call girl, and her, that was me, and her Democratic colleagues on the Supreme Court are using this report as a convenient excuse to take a ham-fisted blue marker to the maps in whatever way their out-of-date dark money donors demand. Out of state, let me, let me make it clear. That from the Wisconsin GOP. 715-845-2155 if you'd like to join the conversation. Good morning. You're on live with Meg. Hey, Meg. It's Maureen Flatley, your expert on child exploitation. Oh, well, thank God, Maureen. I was wondering. We, uh, we're, we're on live, and I was, I was thinking you were going to be a no-show, but delighted that you're able to join me this morning. So thank yeah. you. I, I would love to introduce you properly, and, and I mean, oh. what, I, what I have is that, and, and you know, we would have chatted off air a bit, but you'll have to share with me where you reside, and, uh, and I know oh. that you're a, law enforcement, you're a law enforcement and child protection expert, and your dad, which is oh. kind of cool, worked for the FBI, so oh. I presume that you were perhaps based out of the, the D.C. area. 
Well, first of all, sorry for the delay. No problem. I had a little miscommunication on the call-in info, but um, I'm so delighted to be here. Love what you're doing. Um, I am a D.C. native who now lives about 30 miles north of Boston um, in beautiful Essex, Massachusetts, right in the water. But I spend about 10 days a month in Washington, and I continue to do my advocacy and policy work in both locations. Uh, my dad was, in fact, an FBI agent. He spent most of his career detailed to the Senate Racketeering Committee, where he developed Joe Valachi's testimony against La Cosa Nostra in the 60s. Wow. So there have been a lot of movies and television shows based on his work, and I had the great privilege to work with him for almost 15 years after he retired from the Bureau and before his untimely death. And... Um, it's fair to say that really everything I do in my work around children has been informed and really inspired by the work that he did. Well, first of all, thanks for taking one for the team and spending as much time as you do in D.C. That's got to be, uh, well, I mean, you know, I know uh, probably it's easier for someone that just that knows that they can go home and that that's not their, you know, you know, that you don't have to live there or. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. like our elected representatives have to continue to return and return and return. But, uh, I mean, that's part of the deal. Well, so let's talk, I mean, you know, what you can reveal. Um, talk a little bit about your dad's work uh, on the FBI and how it really shaped, I guess, your your life experience and sure. maybe your worldview as well. Sure. Well, I think the interesting thing about my dad's work, which played out, throughout my entire childhood, beginning when I was quite young, and then the racketeering hearings that people think of when they see uh, shows like Mob Rats on TV uh, took place when I was in high school. But what, what, what they really showed me was that when it wants to, the U.S. Congress and the U.S. Senate especially can come together in a bipartisan fashion to attack a global criminal enterprise and take it down. And in a very real way, Meg, that's what we're dealing with today. These child predators are, in many instances, well-organized, well-funded. It's big business. And one of the things that we've become increasingly concerned about is that while we have a tremendous amount of information, all of it comes from the tech companies, really. We do not seem to have as much luck arresting and convicting and taking these people off the streets. And when we do, and I'll point to um, who I describe as my least favorite Democrat right now, Governor Gavin Newsom in California, Newsom is a perfect example of an elected official who made a lot of noise about passing a state law that was tough on predators and was uh, really going to show those tech companies who was boss. And But the same guy turned around and released thousands of pedophiles from prison on early release, presumably good behavior, really not sure how that works, um, especially when we know that this is a crime with probably the highest recidivism rate of any category of criminal activity. So really, as I look at these problems and as I approach any problem, policy problem related to children, I'm not a social worker. I'm not an attorney. I come from, um, I guess, what could only be described as a very rigorous law enforcement orientation 
And I see this problem very clearly as a crime problem. This is not a tech problem. The tech companies are the only reporters of this activity that we have, and we can talk about that in more, perhaps with a little more nuance later. But, you know, what I really want to fo focus people's attention to is that Congress is pounding on the table and screaming and blaming the tech companies for everything bad, but virtually 100% of the cyber tips that we have come directly from the tech companies who are mandated reporters, but it's Congress and the Justice Department that seem to have really failed to take these guys off the street. And I'll give you an example. I was at the hearing last week with Mark Zuckerberg, and, um, I, you know, obviously the plan that the Judiciary Committee had was to spend two or three hours kicking these guys around and really not listening to anything they had to say and or taking responsibility for anything they ever have or haven't done. But what I saw was a Congress that has had 15 years since the passage of an incredible bill called the PROTECT Act, which was written into law in 2008, but really never implemented. So I saw Congress missing an opportunity for 15 years to, with an enacted law to build a world-class predator interdiction program, to build a world-class prevention machine on all of this. But they passed this, signed into law. It was ironically, it was an interesting sort of bipartisan thing. It was Joe Biden's last bill passed as a U.S. senator with a broad bipartisan coalition of both Democrats and Republicans, signed into law by George Bush, one of his last bills. And here we are, 15 years later, uh, the Government Accountability Office issued a scathing report about a year ago about how this law was never fully implemented. And so to Congress, I say, and do say, um, you know, don't blame this on the tech companies. This is your fault. You've had every opportunity to give law enforcement the tools they need to give state and local officials and federal agents the weapons to prepare cases, to send to prosecutors, to put these guys in jail. It's, it's almost impossible to calculate the number of arrests and convictions because the number is so low. And I think I saw a report the other day that out of the cyber tips, so let's say there were 32 million cyber tips, give or take, last year, 22 million of them came from Facebook, almost 70%. So I see Mark Zuckerberg in that hearing the other day as the number one reporter of cyber tips being savagely vilified by Congress when he sends those cyber tips to the Justice Department and the Justice Department doesn't have the tools and really hasn't made it a priority to do anything about it. So I'm looking at that as someone who has spent my entire adult life, and actually starting as a kid working for the Special Olympics, have spent my entire life advocating for children. Nobody is tougher than I am. And I saw Congress blaming the number one reporter of cyber tips for their own lack of attention to detail, for their own lack of performance. I just wish that they had been busy calling all the DOJ officials that haven't implemented this existing law 
to the Hill to have the same conversation with them, but they, but they didn't. Not at, did not at one point anybody apologize to Mark Zuckerberg for bothering to report all these cyber tips that then go into a black hole and result in very few arrests and convictions. So to frame this as a tech problem, and I get why people default to that position because, you know, it seems in some ways obvious, but it's not a tech problem. The tech companies are not perpetrating against the kids. The perpetrators and the criminals are. So the tech companies are, and they're mandated reporters, just like your local pastor, your school nurse, school teachers. So they have to report this stuff. But what's the point of reporting it if the federal agency and the law enforcement officials who are responsible, they can't, tech companies can't arrest or issue search warrants. They can't prosecute these people. That's a public safety matter. So it, it, it has really become, Meg, this bizarre sort of circular exercise and sort of self-promotion on the one hand that is completely missing the point. And quite frankly, from my perspective, a total abdication of responsibility on the part of Congress and, and the executive branch officials who are tasked with carrying this out, this existing law out. Okay, so... I'm going to ask the maybe what everyone that's listening is asking why why isn't it made up why why hasn't Congress made it a priority? Why do you think? Well, you know, unfortunately, this is kind of a pattern that has emerged, and it's a relatively recent pattern, I would say, in the last ten or fifteen years, where Congress passes a lot of big bills with a lot of spending attached to them that don't get implemented. So as an example, um, Congress in 2017 passed a bill called the Family First Act, which was an amazing and wonderful bill designed to help keep kids out of foster care. I do a lot of work in the foster care space. And um, so it was really designed to support families who were struggling, who were at risk, to help foster parents keep kids from entering group homes and congregate care settings to help people who had stepped up to adopt kids with significant trauma, um, keep those kids at home as opposed to having to send them back into the system. And a few months ago, another angry letter came from the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, who who happens to have a really good idea about the child predator stuff. Um, demanding to know why the Department of Health and Human Services hadn't implemented that existing law. So, you know, Congress has gotten really good at posturing and pointing fingers. And I should say that this is a pretty bipartisan problem. Um, But, you know, back in the good old days, uh, the D.C. I grew up in, um, Congress also did a really good job at oversight. And by oversight, I mean, you know, their constitutional responsibility is to authorize spending, appropriate spending, and oversee that spending. So the executive branch can only do what Congress authorizes and funds them to do. But Congress is the watchdog. So to the extent that we continue to pass existing, uh, to pass things into law, but don't enforce them, there's really no point whatsoever in passing 
new bills if you're not going to enforce them either. And quite frankly, most of the proposals that have been laid on the table around this child exploitation problem are um, completely misguided, uh, going to be ineffectual, will not take a single predator off the street, with the exception of the Invest in Child Safety Act, which is the bipartisan Ron Wyden bill, which would actually modernize the existing law of the PROTECT Act, bring it up into the 21st century, um, provide some additional funding. Because, Meg, the key here is that when we talk about law enforcement and child exploitation, it is absolutely critical that people understand that the solution from the law enforcement side is with your local sheriff's department, your local municipal police department, your state police, and then to a great extent, the feds, because and the feds have to be in the room because most of these internet crimes happen across state lines. So it's a it's a federal it's a federal jurisdictional issue. So this has become sort of the thing that Congress does. You know, they hold angry hearings, they get people all wound up, and they talk about various bills that they think are a good idea, but they're not necessarily grounded in um, reality. And then they don't bother to enforce the laws that they pass. And and what's scary about that is that, on the one hand, it's probably good that only a small percentage of bills introduced in Congress every year actually pass, because, you know, of the thousands of bills that are introduced, I can tell you there are a lot of them that really should never see the light of day. Um, But when they do manage to pass something that's important and powerful and, and speaks to a tremendous problem, you'd really like to have them, you know, every once in a while check back in, right? So this is a problem that Congress has developed that is is really, it's unfortunately not specific to child exploitation, but it certainly has a greater effect on kids than than other populations. And and I'll just give you an example of, of what I'm talking about. So there aren't too many states that have really great child welfare systems. The foster care system in most states is, um, well, to put it bluntly, a hot mess. And yet, 42 states are suing Meta because of their alleged mistreatment or harm of children. Now, the real irony there is that almost all of those plaintiffs have themselves been sued for their own poor performance with respect to child welfare. They've been sued because of high fatality rates of children in their care. There is a riveting and deeply disturbing Inspector General report from HHS about how they routinely lose children in their care while they're still collecting federal subsidies to support the pay, the, the sort of the care and safety of those kids. So. You know, in one instance, I think it might have been California. I can't remember which state off the top of my head. But one of the complaints against Meta is that they were monetizing the children's personal information without their parents' permission. Well, guess what most states are doing? If you're a child that enters foster care and you're entitled to Social Security disability benefits or survivor benefits or you have special needs, the state just takes that money without anyone's permission. And the kids who age out of care are completely destitute and have nothing. So 
the notion that the states would be lecturing Meta on how to take care of kids is just not just laughable. It's it's actually grotesque. So I got to ask you something because I'm I'm sitting here trying to think of. Uh, I mean, it, it's a monumental problem that, mm-hmm. you know, as you've now illuminated, is not evidently not a priority of our elected leaders. But so could you or could could the tech companies, you know, as long as they're not uh, I mean, as you're suggesting, they're not the ones ultimately responsible responsible for this. The fact that they have the amount of money that they do, could they help make a difference i mean you know just because they should be they they want to be committed to doing the right thing i mean is mm-hmm. is that something that sure. that uh, you know cuz i think a lot of people were not and i'm i might be one of them i'll admit that wasn't mm-hmm. as aware of the horrific crime of child sex trafficking as i am now because of that movie sound of freedom and the conversation mm-hmm. that that i, I mm-hmm. guess brought to many Mm -hmm. Americans. But I mean, is it because honestly, if we if we rely on government to solve all all our problems, uh, you you know, we're going to be waiting a long time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, you're reading my mind because I often say in response to various proposals, the government makes a terrible parent. And one of the things that concerns me about this entire scenario and the approach that's been taken is that the government and even really staunch conservatives, shockingly, are now proposing things that involve the government dictating what families can and cannot do to shield their children. But let's go to your point, because I think it's a terrific point. And it's part of my frustration is that because there's been this sort of paradigm created that the tech companies are bad and that the only conversation Congress wants to have with them is to tell them how horrible they are, they're missing a massive opportunity because who better than the tech companies to illuminate how to do this better? I mean, I don't think that the tech companies should be the police in the sense that when they identify wrongdoing or bad actors, uh, actually, just as a footnote, I think one of the reasons that we're not seeing more convictions here is that there may be issues around the handling of evidence um, and the integrity of the evidence. And so, you know, illegal search and seizure and things like that. So I think we do have to be careful. And there is absolutely a role for government in a very particular part of the law enforcement process. But to your larger point, the tech companies have so much to offer. I'll just give you an example. So I've been working um, a little bit with the Ukrainian government and uh, the State Department to locate and retrieve the kids that have been abducted by Russian forces from Ukraine. So we know that there are a lot of children missing. Some of them have been killed. Some of them have been trafficked. Some of them have been placed in illegal adoptions. But the Ukrainian government, who I have immense respect for, has engaged an AI company, which is scraping the images of the kids off of Russian propaganda videos, matching those images with pictures provided by the parents who reported the kids missing, 
and then geotagging those images. They've identified more than 20,000 children, confirmed identifications, and, you know, they have a pretty good idea of where they might be. So I think when it comes to, you know, sort of what I would call tech sleuthing, nobody's nobody's better to inform this process than the tech companies. And I know for sure that the tech companies are going to have much better ideas, but this needs to be a partnership, not an adversarial relationship. And so, you know, and I, and I, I'm not really sure why this happened. I have some thoughts about it, but you know, if you look at the concept of mandated reporting, the kind that we all think of in the child welfare system, it started in 1974 with the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act. So it engaged school nurses and teachers and, you know, various professionals that come in contact with kids were required to report abuse or neglect or exploitation if they saw it. And that system has worked, you know, reasonably well. Um, and yet all of those mandated reporters are exempted from liability because civil liability. They're all exposed to criminal liability if they're criminally negligent in any way, including the tech companies. But um, in most cases on the child welfare side, people do engage schools and pastors and others about how they can do a better job. But for some reason, maybe it's because they do make a lot of money, the tech companies have been have become this sort of easy target. And, you know, when we see bills that are designed to prevent, um, you know, drug dealing online or things like that, um, they don't usually involve any language about arresting the drug dealers. They just, you know, would sanction the tech companies. And I would argue that that's missing an important element of the solution. And in fact, by focusing so tightly on the tech companies rather than solutions that the tech companies might actually provide themselves, um, they've really created just a horrible standoff. But I, I think you're absolutely right in the sense that um, this is a problem that tech companies understand better than we do in a lot of ways. And they're already mandated to report the abuse in their systems. And so I think they have a lot to offer us in terms of solutions and also paying for it right. because, you know, this is an expensive proposition. And of course, at the end of the day, one of the big losers is the taxpayer that has to underwrite all of this. And I'm delighted to report that um, I've been working with the Taxpayers Protection Alliance to get their take on what some of these proposed solutions should be. And they actually support the Invest in Child Safety Act, which I do as well, which has some spending attached to it. But this is a problem that won't be solved without some financial investment, but it has to be the right kind of financial investment. And um, so in any case, I think that one of my biggest concerns on the family side is that we have seen what an unaccountable child welfare system is sort of in the real world, if you will has done to families. And I see the mission creep already that we're now, some people are, and some of them are conservative, which shocks me, um, are trying to create a, what I call a digital family police force. And trust me when I tell you, I got involved in child welfare working on parental rights cases, and this is not the direction in which we wanna travel, believe you me. It's just not going to be good. So 
in any case, I think you're absolutely right. I think the tech companies have a lot to offer, and I think that they would be the first to step up with some amazing ideas. So, Maureen, we're over time. Um, got to go to a news break, but this is such an interesting conversation, and I've got more questions for you. Do you mind? Do you have time to hold over and, and uh, sure. chat a bit more? Okay. So we got to take a sure. news break, but we will return with my guest this morning, Maureen Flatley, who is an expert on protecting kids online. So stay tuned. We shall return on the Meg Ellison Show on WSAU. <laughs> 